God of grace and mercy, God of power and might, God of little things and big things, God of our anxieties and fears, God of our loves and hopes and dreams, be with us in this moment. Come close to us. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to know your love. Help us to be moved by your power in the world. And God, if the words of our mouths or the meditations of our hearts or the movement of our bodies this day would not be of you, if it would cause harm or lead us astray, help us to know it, to turn around and to get to know you better, to try once more and start again in the second and fifth and 77th and infinite chances you are always offering us in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I officiated a wedding yesterday. One of the really beautiful parts of my job that I get to do on a regular basis. And this wedding um, was of two members of this church, folks who you might know. Um, I'll leave out their names so that the, the podcast doesn't know it and we'll, we'll keep them anonymous. But um, two folks of this church who love each other so much and I was so excited to marry them. And it was so beautiful. We were outside in a courtyard. There was dew on the grass, and it was bright green. And it was a glass studio. So there was glass all around us, bowls and plates hung on the walls, blue, green, yellow, sun glinting through them. And the wedding planner had done all of the things you're supposed to do, right? A minute by minute of how the day was going to go and lined us all up so that we were all in the right place and checked that weather forecast that the rain was not going to start until well after the ceremony. And we began. We began to have people walk in and bridesmaids and groomsmen take their places and beautiful songs playing in the background. Um, and then the bride came forward. You know that moment uh, she comes forward and the whole group gathered, friends, family, loved ones, stands up. And as she took her first step out, it started to rain. <laughs> the raindrops started to fall just a little bit on all of us. And, and as the minutes went on, there were more and more raindrops and they were getting a little harder to ignore and it was becoming a whole like rom-com drama scene situation instead of the wedding of calmness and predictability that you might want to have and I felt like let's do this right we're here to celebrate love we're here to celebrate connection let's do it but I didn't want them to feel rushed I didn't want them to feel un um uh, on a, on, like they, they would have their wedding day taken away from them, but I also wanted them to know that if they wanted to move inside, we could, right? And so during the reading, I'm like stepping over to the bride, and I'm like, if you want me to tell everybody to go inside, just give me the signal, right? And I'll get them in. And, uh, but, but people are, are making it work. They're putting the jackets over their heads, and a couple people had secret umbrellas under their chairs. These are like the former Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, you know? Like they had thought the 10 steps ahead. Um, someone brings over an umbrella so that it's over us. Uh, and then we get to the vows part, right? I've cut a couple things out, like my sermon, so that we can really get to the heart of the thing. Um, and, the, and the time for vows comes, and the groom begins his vows that he has written to this person who he wants to spend the rest of his life with. 
and he starts talking about all the things that he loves about her and cherishes about her and has found in her, her, this creation of God, never before made, never to be seen again. And he starts to cry. And all of a sudden, the tears on his face are mixing with the rain coming from the sky. And it feels like, how could the ceremony have been anything but this? <laughs> the rain is exactly perfect. The rain is exactly right. It will be a story that they will tell their grandkids, that we will tell everyone for the rest of our lives. Water cuts both ways. <laughs> water interrupts us and we slip on it and it has power and water is emotion and life and connection. Water is everything. I'm someone for whom this is like very personal and true. Um, some of you have not known me very long yet, but for those of you who have, I am an enormously clumsy person on land. <laughs> I walk three steps, I've tripped. I don't understand where objects are. I have bruises all over my legs from tables I've walked into without noticing. I am not made for this earth. <laughs> um, but what I am made for is the water. When I'm in the water, when I'm in a lake or an ocean or a pool, I feel most myself. I can go for miles. I have always wanted to be swimming. We have videotape of me when I'm one year old with my dad's hand on my head and I'm pushing on it to try and make him put me back under the water because I don't want to be outside of it. I love it. I, I am never more adept or in my body than when I'm swimming. And still, even me, even with that level of passion and comfort, I know when to be scared of what the water can do. I've been in rafts and boats and fallen out and felt the tide and screamed, right, for my brother and my parents because I know how quickly it can go bad. When there's a riptide, I swim sideways, I find people and I bring us back to shore because the ocean's power isn't something to take lightly. Even as much as I love it, I know that in water there is danger, as well as joy, that there is power, as well as lightness. And I've learned to take it seriously. For all of us, I think this is our experience and the spiritual power of what water is, that it's both things at once. We need it literally to live. It is what our bodies are made of. Many of us have taken it spiritually to live. We have been baptized and we have been changed. And we know that in it we find all kinds of things. And this is why throughout biblical history, it has been something, and throughout human history, it has been something that people tell stories about that contain both sides, both parts. In Jesus' time, many of his friends would have known stories of gods in the water, right? Of gods doing powerful things. They were everywhere. They were in every country. They were in every society. And most of them had to do with scary stuff. Your god of the water, your god of the world, would make there be a tornado, or would use the ocean to destroy something, 
or would use a lake to, to get at someone, to use it as a weapon, to demonstrate their power and might in the world. What the gods of the stories that Jesus' friends and neighbors would have known did with the water was show off how amazing they were. But when it comes time for Jesus to do a miracle in the water, for Jesus to show his power over the elements, it's not that kind of story. It's not a story of might and weather and passion, although a little bit it is. It's a story of Jesus walking calmly and serenely in the middle of the thing that scares everybody else. (laughs) It's a story of Jesus taking gentle steps towards friends, not trying to scare them, but bringing them peace. The way that Jesus does miracles, the way that Jesus shows power is unlike the way that we think of power in the world of what we think might looks like. This is true not just in this miracle, but all over Jesus' ministry, all over the way that he talks about things and thinks about things, right? That Jesus says, you think I have come to show power by having power over, by telling people what to do, by making them be a certain way, by taking over the country and having an army and giving you liberation that looks like a sword. But in fact, what power is, is something smaller, weaker, more vulnerable, and more mystifying. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that it is the weak who will inherit the earth, that it is the mourning who have God's peace and honor with them. Jesus doesn't show power the way that the other gods do. Jesus enters into our story and enters into his miracles with peace and gentleness and a sense of surprise. This is part of what makes this story so strange and a fit for the series that we're in, Strange Jesus. Um, This is probably Jesus's most famous miracle, right? People talk about um, when they say that someone's really cool, that they walk on water, or if they think that they're not so great, that they don't walk on water. It's a phrase that's become famous, an image that's become famous, but how rarely do we think about how strange it is that of all of the things Jesus could have done in this sea, this is what he did, walk out to his friends. This is what he did, take steps through something that scared them, in order to meet them where they were. Jesus' vision of what it means to be a miracle and to enter into our lives is different than what the world has told us strength looks like. And so I want to dive deeper into this scripture. Let's go to the second to the last slide. I want to talk about what Jesus says to his friends when he gets there. Let's think a little bit about how he's gotten to this sea. First, he's just done another miracle. Um, he has been on the mountain with 5,000. He was preaching to them all of the things about who Jesus is, about who God is. And people get hungry, and the disciples get worried about their hunger. And so the disciples are like, let's shut this down. Let's stop worship, right? People are going to want food, and we don't have it. Um, and they want to rid everybody off of the mountain. And Jesus says, no, let's feed them. There is enough. There is more than enough. Take one loaf of bread, take one fish, I can make it feed everybody. And they feed the 5,000. And then Jesus says to the disciples, go get in the boat, cross the sea, I'll join you later. And goes up to pray on a mountain. 
And one of the early stories about why he does it, why does he send the disciples away is one of the first weird things about this passage, right? Why does he send them to go into the boat by themselves? Why does he stay behind? One of the stories that people would tell was that it was because the 5,000 who he had fed miraculously, who had been there on that mountain, wanted to make him their king. The early commentators said, these people who had seen him show such power and who were living under such oppression wanted to make him their king, make him their leader, have him go out with them, um, and he resisted that. He knew that that wasn't how he was going to change the world, and so he sent the disciples away so that he could escape and run away quietly and join them later. I like that story because I think it says something about who Jesus is and what he's about. But I think probably it's just what the scripture says, that he sent them away because he wanted some alone time. <laughs> he wanted to pray on a mountain. This is something that Jesus needs and wants a lot, something that Jesus is good at doing for himself that many of us struggle with, I think. That Jesus, when he is burdened or when he is in pain or when he is sad or when he is in anger, he makes sure to go take some time, him and God, in the quiet, alone on a mountaintop, right? And usually it helps to center him a little bit. So he sends the disciples away so that he can get his alone time. And then, by then, they're in the middle of the sea, and so rather than take another boat, Jesus takes the fastest way from A to B, right? He walks to them. If he can, why not? It's time for me to be with my friends. It's time for us to go do ministry on the other side of the sea. Let me join those I love. And he walks out to see them. And when they see him... They think that he's one of the apparitions of the many stories of might and power and fear and destruction that they have heard of water demons and water gods and water ghosts, and they're afraid. They're afraid that he's not the one that they love, the one that they want to see more than anything, but that he's someone that has great harm for them. And so he says something to them. He says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid afraid. There are three parts to that, three parts that I think most of us could use in our life right now, whatever it is we are facing. And what they all center on is that middle one. I, I purposefully put in here a translation that I don't agree with because I think it's the translation that most of you will have heard throughout your entire life. Almost every translation of the Bible translates this middle part, it is I, it is I. Because they're thinking from a later perspective that if the disciples are scared that it's not Jesus, that it's some kind of malevolent force, then what Jesus must be doing here is saying to them, no worries, y'all, it's Jesus, you know me, it is I, it is Jesus, it is your human friend. But most modern commentators now say that is not the best translation of this phrase. It's not supposed to be it is I, it is supposed to be I am. Take heart I am, do not be afraid. And why that matters is because I am is one of the historic and grand and great names that God has used for God's self throughout history in times of mystery and pain. <laughs> that when the world is troubled or when people are troubled, God enters in and says, I am. Not, I am because logic, or I am because promise I have for you, but just, I am. God is, and that is enough. Jesus says, I am, and so you do not need to be afraid. 
not because I'm going to fix this problem, right? I'm going to make the storm or give you power or break the boat. But because I am, you do not need to be afraid. Because of who I am, you are who you are. Because I am Jesus, one who is one with the creator, one who redeems and saves and loves. You are beloved and you are more than enough. And whatever storm is gathering around you, you do not need to be afraid. And this is the hard part of this scripture, but I also think a good one for like living in a life that's hard is that Jesus doesn't make a promise that the thing that scares them is going to stop anytime soon. He doesn't say that the storm is going to cease. He doesn't say that the boat is going to reach the shore. He simply says, yes, reality, and I am, and do not be afraid. Whatever it is that is besetting you, whatever it is that is hurting you or harming you or fearing you, in the midst of it, it may not stop. The world is a world of freedom and people make choices and the world can be hard and I am and you don't need to be afraid, whatever it is. So many of us are walking around in fear of things small and big, earned fears, ones that aren't ridiculous, ones that are real because life is hard. We experience loss and pain and things don't work out the way that they want to. And Jesus says, into all of that, whatever it is, whatever it has been, I am. Do not be afraid. Because what Jesus shows in his life is that fearlessness isn't about Power, entering into the world without fear, isn't about having a life that you don't need to be afraid of. It's about embracing the vulnerability and the openness and the honesty and the hurt that comes with being a person who is full of love in a world that might change at any moment. Take heart. Take heart, I am. Take heart. Brene Brown, a writer on vulnerability and openness and on living in a risky world with a risky way of life, says that what it means to live with your open, soft parts out, right, so that anybody might see them or touch them, is to live a wholehearted life. One where you don't reduce risk, but you say, yes, risk, and also loving is worth it. Yes, risk, and also connection is worth it. Yes, risk, and also community, and the world, and the beautiful parts of it, and all that there is to be found in this thing that hurts me all the time and still is so beautiful, where the rain can be sad and the rain can be love, is to say yes, and I will bring my whole heart to this experience that is life. I will trust that Jesus is, I am, and that I do not need to be afraid whatever storm I might be in the midst of. There is no promise of certainty. There is no promise of safety. But there is a promise that whatever you are facing, whether it is conflict within your family or being unappreciated at work or having a friendship that you don't know how it's going to work out or having a life where you don't know how it's going to work out or having loss that you've been living with for years, or really anything that it is, that is the storm that surrounds you, the pain that infects you, the thing that is hard to get over, Jesus says, I am. I am with you 
in it. I am next to the boat. And whether or not it fixes itself, know this, I am, I love you, I am with you, and you can have a whole, full heart, and there is no need to be afraid. So let's go out into the world wholehearted people, free of fear, open to love and connection and the risks it does take, knowing that Jesus is, and so there is hope and resurrection and power at the heart of it, even if it looks nothing like what we expected it to look like. Amen.